Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 18. Sam's take on the Golden Globes. Big Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. Today we're going to start off with a little story time by Eddie. What do you got for us, Eddie? Oh, wow. What a what an introduction. <laughs> hi, hi, Sam, before I launch into my... Uh... Oh, yeah. It's, it's good to be here. I'll speak in about half an hour. Yeah. How do you know I didn't no, also have story time for Sam set up next? <laughs> it's a pretty quick one. Um, today was a a an important day for me i guess not important might be an, an exaggeration but for the after months of waiting i managed to get my hands on one of the new xboxes the xbox series x i woke up this morning and for whatever reason decided to check the fnac website fnac being one of the big uh stores that sell you know like electronics and stuff in in france and saw that in the store nearest my house they actually had some in stock so i went there at like 9 15 this morning to try and make sure that i could get one before anyone else the store opened at nine guy told me plenty in stock no problem just uh here it is and like the the plan that xbox offers is the xbox all access so you pay 32 euros a month and in return for that you kind of pay no interest pay your xbox off over the course of two years and you get the like xbox game pass along with it which I pay for anyway, 15 euros a month or whatever. So sounded like a bargain. I went to the counter where you have to fill this in. The lady working there started filling in all of my details. And she was like, where were you born? So I gave her the town that I was born in outside of Paris. And then she said, and where are you from? Like, what's your nationality? I was like, well, I'm British. And, and she said, do you Uh have, um, do you have, uh, your your visa like a copy of your identity with your visa i was like yeah no problem got in january here it is then she goes oh the system system won't let us put in that you were born in france but that you're not french and i was like oh okay (laughs) republicanism (laughs) at its finest there (laughs) yeah she's like this is crazy like it shouldn't be this way and she's like in particular just won't let me select that you're british she's like i guess the system hasn't updated to reflect brexit which means the way that Brexit at the moment is manifesting in my life is from stopping me from getting Xboxes and from getting British sausages. Like these are the two things that in my life are being most affected by this large change in the political landscape. And uh, so for the next 90 minutes, I'd say, she proceeded to keep trying to type this into the system and then call various people, most of whom just hung up on her pretty much instantly whenever she explained what the (laughs) issue was. And then I was like, could I, which this is going to be sound just uh, very on brand for me when it comes to my banking issues. I said, could I have a friend of mine come here and buy it on my behalf, like a French friend? And she was like, yeah, that's fine. So I texted one of my colleagues who came over straight away and then (laughs) sat down next to me as if he was my dad and gave them my, gave them his his personal information and on my behalf bought me an xbox 
Uh, I thought you were going to say, little did did we know it was the orange manager at the FNAC (laughs) just (laughs) playing the long game with you. (laughs) Welcome to hell, Edward Hewitt. (laughs) Wait, I have have a question. You got one of your colleagues. It's a Monday morning. Were you off work? Uh, today? We we both had quiet mornings. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Because <laughs> in total, I, so I I got there at nine fifteen. I didn't leave there until twelve thirty. I think it's the length of time it took. And then I bought him lunch as a thank you for him buying me an Xbox. Bought your dad lunch. It's nice. Yeah, to it's very nice. Yeah. Nice little father son outing. I I thought you were going to say it was significant because it was Justin Bieber's birthday today or National Pancake Day. I thought it was going to be one of those two. I didn't see the Xbox. That came out of left field. I thought you were shoo-in for celebrating the Biebs' birthday. Wait, how how old is Justin Bieber? Must be like 25, 26. (laughs) Old enough. (laughs) Old enough to what, McLovin? (laughs) To party? (laughs) The random movie quotes are back. <laughs> there yeah. we go. Superman. <laughs> I love Superman. It's one of my all-time favorite movies. It just came out like the perfect time, I think. You know, like all the jokes just hit with me. I love that movie. Doesn't hold up so well anymore. Like a lot of the jokes are quite controversial if they're released now, I think. Now, the interesting thing, speaking of though, my father-son moment that I had today bonding with my colleague Uh, I did read an interesting story over the weekend about a footballer who had a very close relationship with his mother. And that footballer in question is former Real Madrid and Portugal defender Pepe, who uh, obviously was known for being quite a hard man on the pitch. And he's in an interview, he came out and said, people say I am a badass, but I slept with my mother until I was 17. (laughs) Okay. He explains wait, until wait, I wait. Does he mean he slept with her sexually until he was seventeen? No, and then he, he means. <laughs> so, what do you What do you think? Like, <laughs> what kind of revelation would be so flippantly spoken about yeah. like that? I was abused. People say I'm a tough guy, but I was sexually <laughs> yeah. abused as a child. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I slept in the same bed as her. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, uh, until I came to Portugal at the age of seventeen, I slept with my mother. So imagine what it was. He said, uh, "See, and, imagine what it was. I think I'm right." <laughs> then they asked yeah, him he, how his. What? Then they asked him how his father felt about this arrangement, and he said, "Hey, man, I was already big, and I slept with my parents. So imagine my. So oh I my imagine god! My, I think I'm right. <laughs> so I imagine my father would not like to have me there." <laughs> and then he said, um, "He's literally this painting really, this in black and white, no, no, and no, everyone no. refuses to see it as it is." What was it was the language? It gets worse. It was done in it his gets, native language. It gets worse. It was done in Portuguese, yeah. Okay. It gets so there's worse. some Google Translate hilarities going on. I here. was talking to my mother and she was telling me that I liked I really liked to run my hand through her hair, take it, and I told her that maybe I already knew it would be a lot I would it would be a lot of time away from her. That I, a boy who slept with his mother until he was eighteen, could win three champions leagues. I never imagined it. <laughs> Yeah, because many he thought people he'd be did. in jail. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people did, Pepe. <laughs> I mean, it's a very honest interview. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you have to be so comfortable with yourself to put such an embarrassing story just out into the public. 
and not embarrassing. There's lots of little embarrassing stories that are just kind of, this makes you think he's weird. Like it's, it makes his whole makes family life. He's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and his parents are weird. I mean, was it a case that his family was, you know, very unlucky in terms of like income and stuff like that, that they only had a couple of rooms and that's why the sleeping happened? Well, a, a couple of rooms would, would yeah. negate this issue, Sam. I think Look, do they live in a what, closet? <laughs> yeah, even one room. If it was an actual room, there's no reason for... How many of them were there? I, you know what? I'm trying to... He doesn't, mention any, he doesn't mention any sibling. He doesn't mention any siblings here. Also, just, I mean, just picture the scenario. You have a 17-year-old guy sleeping in a bed with his mother and his father, who's also there, right? So the dad is just like, I don't know what he's thinking as he's trying to fall asleep while his 17-year-old son strokes his wife's hair. No, now here's my question. What's the arrangement in the bed? What, wait, 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 wait. If you had to, what is the best arrangement you would mother, do if you had mother, to do this? Mother in the middle. It's mother in the middle for sure. Really? Yeah, I'm not sitting. Like if I'm Eddie doesn't want to touch his dad, is what he's saying. I mean, I don't want to touch either of them in the bed like <laughs> scenario. Let's be clear, very clear about this one. But if I topic. If I had to, then I mean, if no, for no other reason, then it reduces by half the amount of contact you're having in bed with your parents. <laughs> like a top tail. Oh, Eddie, what a creep. <laughs> <laughs> How does this make me a creep? Because you've got an like answer. The answer wasn't, mother. yeah, because any answer, any answer that wasn't, that's a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so sorry for just actually playing along and genuinely asking the answering the question. I'm what a creep. sucker! A, <laughs> what a trap! <laughs> we we entrapped them. Uh, Eddie got a new sitcom, Mother in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of other uh, footballing personalities of the early two thousands. Don't know if you saw the uh, feud, well, this little spat that's now going on between Zlatan Ibrahimovic and LeBron James. I don't know if you saw what's playing out there. Oh, my mom has been very in tune. She's she's very interested in this. I don't know why. I don't know what her angle is. I really don't want to investigate further to what it is. But she keeps, it started off with, uh, how much does Zlatan make per year? Like completely out of nowhere, you know, like hadn't messaged her all day. I was like, why? <laughs> why? Why is this a random question you have? So I haven't actually seen this argument, I, but I'm assuming given their personalities, it's something to do with stature or wealth. No, or, no. no it's to do with talking about non-sporting issues. So Zlatan said, what he does is phenomenal, but I don't like it when people with a certain status talk about politics. Do what you are good at. I play football because I'm the best at it. If I was a politician, I'd have gone into politics. Yeah, so that so there's a few issues with that, right? I mean, we, we can get into like, is LeBron in politics? Is LeBron just speaking on behalf of a movement that he is obviously a part of? But the other thing that I thought was interesting was LeBron's response 
And he tried to make himself, I think, sound really smart and in touch and actually sounded like kind of an idiot. Because there's one thing he said was, oh, you think it's because I'm uneducated. Well, this is how educated I am. I actually know that you talked about racism like previously when you were playing and how you thought you were, um, I forget exactly what he said, how you were being like mistreated because of your last name or something like that. The big difference there is because, I mean, LeBron's so educated, he looked on Wikipedia and saw this controversy in, in Zlatan's thing. But Ibravinovich was just talking to a newspaper at that time. They literally asked Wait, him. Who, we got to go over this. He's turned into Zlatan. Ibravinovich. It's turned into like a mush, so you would just get away with it anyway. Like, yeah. you, you remember Zlatan? You remember when Zlatan Ibravinovich had an argument with Zlatan James? <laughs> Did you I don't know if I can even say it. Ibrahimovic. Ibrahim or Ibrahim literally say the Ibrahimovic. You can just if you really wanted to, you can just be one of those people who just says Ibra. Ibra. Slatan. But Ibra wasn't talking out on behalf of the racism. He was literally asked the question, like, do you feel like there's something because of your nationality and who you are and how you're treated? And he was like, Yeah, so, I think so there for, is. For, for like for that's context. a little different, right? For context for <laughs> listeners on this Latin racism, it was in reference to him playing for Sweden and him feeling as if he's treated differently by the Swedish media uh, because he's not blonde and because his last name isn't Johansson or Svedsson or something. something yeah, <laughs> some classic Swedish name. So he felt like he is treated differently as a result of that. And he specifically said he didn't feel like it was necessarily intentional racism, but a kind of latent racism. Yeah, but I don't think he came out and and was like publicly saying, you know, it's not like he came out of nowhere. I thought he, from how I read it, he was asked the question and was responding to the question versus like he wasn't out, you know, like protesting or actually being involved in public awareness that he's being mistreated or something. You could also say the other difference, and I'm not defending necessarily Zlatan's point in terms of what he said to LeBron. But also the difference there too is he's just speaking specifically about himself. So I don't, he didn't even make a wider point of the treatment of immigrants in Sweden. He was just saying, I personally think I am treated differently because my name is Ibrahimovic and not Johansson or whatever. He wasn't trying to kind of get involved in a larger movement about how immigrants are treated in Scandinavia. So do you not, he, do you not think he could argue that he's not really being a politician in just saying what he said. Isn't it kind of, you're going to do that with a person of his stature discussing that kind of thing. It's going to bring up a wider point. Maybe, maybe the intention wasn't there, but it's fairly, it's fairly obvious, right? Oh, no, I, I agree with you. It, it looks, look, it, it, it looks inconsistent. But then at the same time, LeBron James looks inconsistent because he said, like, I have to speak out when I see something wrong. And this is the same guy who told Daryl Morey to shut up when he came out and spoke about uh, China's activities in Hong Kong. So, like, again, we've and we've spoken about that before. I'm not going to kill LeBron James. He 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 is trying to do. Oh, I'll just leave good. it there. I'm you. not going to kill LeBron <laughs> James. It's just in case he dies in the near. Not just, I want this on record. I had no plans to kill him, but but uh, but he. 
I'm not going to say you, just because you aren't involved in every good cause doesn't mean that you have no right to be involved in the good cause that you're most passionate about, obviously. So, but the fact that he has publicly in the past come out and told someone to like, shut up and do your job. Don't do other things. You don't know enough about this to be involved. But then at the same time feels like he is in a position to become heavily involved in a lot of different topics. That's the bad look for me here. And again, he's reinforcing that by saying, well, when I see something bad going on, I have to say something like that's my place. And it's like, okay, but unless it's in China where your massive sponsorship deals might be at risk. Yeah. I, and I, I still just think the way he went back at Ebro was the wrong way to go. I, I think he should have went the other route and said, you know, maybe you should speak up. You play in a league that is notorious for being extremely racist, right? I mean, they have many issues that have gone on yeah. and he's even actually been potentially involved in some of those issues when wasn't he with something like Lukaku last year or was it this year even or recently him and Lukaku accused him of saying like calling him like a racist name or something like that not aware of that it might be true I just that's not one that I'm but you are familiar. right the Serie A has Yes. De facto, almost institutionally yeah. had racism within its fans um, for a long period of time. Um, you free, I would say, at, at the very least, you see two or three in the news that are, you know, seriously bad, whether it's like putting sort of like profanities or something onto the stadium or shouting profanities. It's, it's pretty crazy, actually, how not stamped out it is with the Italian um, fan base. Also, just earlier this year, Zlatan fund started fundraising for in response to the pandemic, personally gave 100,000 euros towards the cause and said, if uh, the virus don't go to Zlat Zlatan, Zlatan goes to the virus. And like, <laughs> again, again, it's not he, it's not that because he did. I'm not saying, well, you, you have to be all of one or all of the other. And he could, again, argue he's not being political by just raising money to help a cause. Like, there's no political, you know, motivation there. Um, but it does seem like people are drawing weird lines in the sand as to yeah. what's okay for someone in their position to do. And then they're calling out other people who they think are doing not quite what they think is right. Yeah, it's weird why people wouldn't have to call out someone else for doing something differently as well. Like, there would be absolutely no problem with seeing celebrities as single issue as well. Uh, Rashford, obviously being a very good example, he had a very personal experience with schooling in his childhood and his background. And he sets about doing something right and pressuring the government in that specific area. You don't hear Rashford coming out more generally about other issues that maybe don't personally apply to him. Um, so I, I wouldn't have a problem with people being single issue and maybe being slightly quieter or more reserved on other issues. It doesn't mean they're not free to make their points, but I can fully understand seeing celebrities who have had a personal experience in their life getting behind something because then the relationship is very insular. It almost doesn't matter politically, I guess, in a way. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing is, LeBron James would be wise, though, to just leave this be and move on. Because fundamentally, the one... Zlatan is kind of the king of quotes, right? And 
he is going to win this battle if it just goes into a media like let me tweet something you tweet something i'll say something in an interview like he's too witty and like has no shame in just speaking about himself in the third person like just playing into his ego playing into his image of him being the biggest star in the world so what is this by the way is it like a twitter conversation because it's it's very weird very separate (laughs) no like weirdly started he was being Zlatan Ibrahimovic was interviewed by discovery plus this is where discovery plus sweden yeah or something this is how it wasn't even like the normal us one yeah it's a very it's a normal wow Wow. Hoisting your colors to the mast. (laughs) Yeah, this is what Zlatan was talking about, Frank. (laughs) On this back-end sub-regional thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, why would Discovery Plus Sweden care about American basketball? (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I don't even know which question they asked him to get him to talk about LeBron James. Like, I don't... I mean, I guess maybe they were speaking about activism in sport, and they just asked him his opinion on that. I don't know, but... It's difficult too because Zlatan's playing a character, right? Like the public thing you see of Zlatan is not what he's like in private. And I can say this from not personal experience, but from close second, like a secondary source, which is a mutual friend of ours who used to teach at the school that Zlatan's children went to. And the experience that he spoke about whenever Zlatan would come on a daily basis to pick up his kids. Um, and then would come to like parent teacher conferences and was this quiet reserved guy who just liked interacting with children very different <laughs> from the guy who says like <laughs> why would i get my wife a present like her present is latin like it's it's a very different he, experience that's weird because he genuinely sees himself as like the second coming of footballing jesus <laughs> i think I, I i mean i've always kind of thought that was an act right it's a i think he's a long one so I think he probably thinks he's the best footballer ever. I think that bit might be true, but I think in terms of... I think of like, the, the, like the third person references and like, yeah, that's, yeah, like I'm the world and all this and that. Yeah, that's an act. Like the Chuck Norris aspect of it. Yeah. But also the name is so uniquely identifiable as well. You know, you're not going to have like Jack Grealish being like, Jack's going to come to the virus because it just sounds strange. Yeah, the, the Grealish. The Grealish. It actually sounds like a virus in itself. <laughs> I mean, Zlatan kind of does too, in fairness. But he, um, yeah. Now, the one thing I guess you could say, right, is like he had it from a very early age because the story is, right, that Arsenal invited him for a trial and he was like, Zlatan doesn't do trials. So, and that was when he was 17 or something. So he has had this level of confidence from birth so he's not pretending in terms of that aspect of the personality but i do think he knows that the quotes like he's a good argument for a player whose personality has made him a much more famous athlete and footballer than his actual sort of on the field performances ever would have wait he's still got an insane goal scoring record at almost every league at all the elite clubs, both nationally with Sweden, sorry, internationally with Sweden, European level, and at almost every major domestic league. I mean, he'd still be an incredible player, but you're so, right that there's this there's this addendum with him, that there's something he, else. He would have still had a very good career, but the reality is that he was also a secondary figure 
on a lot of very good teams. Like when he was in his prime, like when you're talking about when he was at Barcelona, even when he was at what when he was at Inter for a bit, like he was often a a little bit in the like on the margins. It's not like Zlatan was the key figure at Barcelona as in his prime. The goal scoring record speaks for itself, but sometimes I'm gonna say like going to play for PSG and scoring a lot of goals, not that hard. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. The PSG one over four years is fair, but just looking through his record, right? Um, 57 in 88 games at Inter, um, 28 in 32 in a season for Milan, um, 35 at Ajax. He's, he well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 52 goals at LA Galaxy. Is it easy wow. to score in the MLS? <laughs> I'm not, look, I'm not. <laughs> He would have. He would still be a very good player, but he wouldn't be as famous, and maybe as yeah. he wouldn't yeah, have right. the same legendary status that he's managed to kind of achieve through personality, more than, and in part he's been hurt by being Swedish, right? Undoubtedly, if he had been, you know, Spanish or Italian or German, and he'd been winning World Cups or Euros in that same time period, then I might feel differently about him, and that's a little bit unfair because. It's not really his fault. So we were close to once again having some breaking news mid-podcast, but J.J. Watt is coming to Arizona, signing with the Cardinals. He doesn't know the Duke of Curse that he is bringing upon himself. Yeah. This I mean, is... just coming close to the source is... R.I.P. Really J.J. Watt. Should I go get a JJ Watt jersey? <laughs> no, it's okay. Bringing him to Arizona is more than enough damage. Yeah. So, what um, did they ever work out if his tweets were cryptic? Did they ever work out kind of what happened with them based on the fact that he's now. The only cryptic tweet, and it wasn't even cryptic, the only meaningful tweet that he sent out at any point was he is the one who broke the news that he was signing for the Cardinals by taking a picture of himself in a Cardinals t shirt while he was working out and saying source me but like that's the only time that his social media posts have had any relevance on where he's going i think he obviously just enjoyed the the interest but it's an interesting signing for the cardinals their defense isn't their strong point but they're now going to have a really good pass rush so you know the nfc west on paper once again looks like an incredibly Keeps strong division stronger, yeah. but it could fall apart did you see that since I think it was 2012 Chandler Jones, who's on the Cardinals has the most sacks in the league and JJ Watt is number two. So they are the two highest sacks since 2012 on the same team. Now. Do you think that changes your perception of where they'll finish next season? I it's mean, not going to hurt them. I mean, the only way you could say it, it could hurt them is if they overpaid and they're not going to be able to fill a gap with another free agent. But, but I mean, maybe teamed up now with another top-end rusher, although I don't think Chandler Jones had a great year last year either. He was a little banged up. But maybe the two of them together, you know, he gets a lot more, uh, gets less double teams and can maybe make some more plays. I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's going to hurt the Cardinals at all. I mean, their defense wasn't that great last year, and it was very hot and cold. So... You just have to hope Kyler Murray keeps progressing. Or they get Deshaun Watson now and get Hopkins, Watson, and Watt all on the Cardinals. Now, you mentioned records there. 
I saw an interesting little stat and record over the weekend, which is that Manchester City have now have 20 consecutive wins in all competitions. They are five off tying the record for the most consecutive wins in the 21st century by any professional football team in any league in the world. So in their sights, they have uh, Real Madrid, who had 22 consecutive wins in the 2014-15 season. Bayern Munich, who had 23 consecutive wins in the 2019-20 season. Would have been my and guesses. Come on. I could, <laughs> these are ones I could have legitimately okay. guessed. <laughs> Guess first place. Now I couldn't guess first. I would have just had two in a row. Mm. What's the year? I'm not. Yeah, the year will be uh, interesting. The year is 2011. I'll give you a really big clue. 2011 in Brazil. Knock yourselves out. Wait, what? I didn't even get a clue. It's a Brazilian <laughs> club. That's the clue oh. with 25 wins in a row. Oh, let's go for it. Uh, Santos. No. Corinthians. Cortiva, of course. Yes. So, yeah, they had 25 <laughs> wins in a row. So, City have a chance, I suppose. It's not necessarily the easiest set of fixtures they have if they're going to try and uh, break the record. But you never it, know. It doesn't feel as impressive have up? that there's been like three or four clubs that have done it in this, you know, in the yeah, last in what, the, 20 in the last years. decade. Yeah, what decade even? Um, I mean, look, some of them don't feel as impressive. Cortiba, I can't possibly judge. Uh, Bayern Munich, <laughs> Bayern Munich is less impressive just because of the strength of the Bundesliga. So, like them going now, the thing is, you're going to have to have good runs in Europe. If you're a top European side, you're not within a 25 match span. You have to play Champions League or Europa League football. So that does make it a little bit more challenging. But, um, yeah, their next five fixtures, they have Wolves at home. They have Man United at home. They have Southampton at home. Fulham away. And then they could tie the record in the Champions League, home to Borussia Mönchengladbach. And then they could break the record away to Everton in the FA Cup. Oh. I mean, the problem obviously with United is no. Well, you look at their record against the um, so was it they played like Arsenal twice, Chelsea twice, Man U, uh, sorry, Man City and Liverpool, and they haven't even scored a goal in, in those games in the Premier League this season. Of naturally haven't won because of it. Oh, as well. you're Manchester United, you mean. Yeah, Manchester United. Yeah. So I very much doubt that Manchester United will score against Man City. Hey, just oh, need a you, draw. Wait, you, you, just doubt need a draw. That, you doubt that they'll even score. Now, that's bold. You're going the under 0.5 goals in that what, match. Man U. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your City will keep a clean sheet. That's a decent one. Yeah. Everton now, FA uh, Cup could be questionable. Yeah, there's a few. And How then you invested also, are they in the FA yeah. Cup? You also just get into that realm too, right? Where their lead in the in the Premier League is becoming unassailable, and so at what moment do they start rotating players in for for the FA Cup or for the Borussia Mönchengladbach match? And so then you start to see sort of weakened sides coming out, which with City are still very very good sides. 
Like even if they fully rotate their squad, it's still a pretty good team. But you just, in terms of winning every match, the next five matches, I mean, the odds would be, it would be a decent bet. I'll put it that way. Like you're going to get, not going to be any kind of astronomical returns, but it would be, it would be pretty decent. Now, do you think if they, so look at Liverpool, you know, they had this good run, they had all this, all this form. And then all of a sudden when something happened at home, they really couldn't change it around that quickly. Do you think City are in the same boat? If something goes wrong, you know, where they've got so much momentum at the moment, win, 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 win. If someone throws a spanner in that and there's a last minute draw or potentially a loss, do you think the wheels may start to come off or do you think the team's too good to allow that to happen? Like, don't get me, I'm not saying that they'll lose the Premier League or something like that, but let's just say a shocking defeat to Everton or something like that, or they get dumped out by Gladbach in the Champions League. You missed I mean, a few I'd be wins very, there. I'd be you very said surprised. Win, win, win. Yeah, <laughs> you got sixteen more. <laughs> I'd be very surprised if uh, they lost to Gladback or were knocked out by Gladback, given they're going into the home leg with uh, what a two goal advantage, right? Um, I think I don't think the wheels will come off their season. The only, I could see a drop in form or performances if or when they're knocked out of the Champions League. And that there's a possibility at that moment they'll feel because the Premier League is fundamentally wrapped up that they'll kind of feel like, well, season over. And then you might just start to see a bunch of players already thinking about their holidays. Yeah, I think it's pretty telling when you've got someone like Solskjaer coming out and saying, like, we're playing for top four at the moment and they're second. <laughs> I, I, I think the season's fundamentally over. Now, the thing we'd really need is for Frank to come out and make a strong uh, statement about Manchester City because we obviously hinted already at the, the risk that J.J. Watt faces with the, with the Duke of Curse. The person who was struck by the Duke of Curse this weekend was the trainer of Tiger Roll, Gordon <laughs> Elliott, who's... <laughs> oh, come on. We did, no, no, no. We debated, we debated for a while whether this is directly linked to Tiger Roll. And a part of us feels like this is so <laughs> unique to horse racing. Like, I've, I've never come across anything like this in, what, over a decade in this industry. And so you, you think just, I've got a hand in it. <laughs> I think you have a hand in this. So... Uh, Eddie, do you want to give the context? The context is that over the weekend, a photo, a picture was leaked, um, I think on Twitter, I think, from an account in no way linked to uh, Gordon Elliott, who is, for people unfamiliar, he's probably currently the biggest trainer when it comes to jumps racing um, in the That's world, certainly. That's where I draw the line. If it were an obscure trainer whose only link is Tiger Roll, then then I I claim full responsibility. <laughs> but this is the like the biggest jumps trainer in the world, probably. Right? Come on. Probably yes. Um, and a picture emerged of him sitting on a dead horse, uh, giving the peace sign. Uh, With doing a, on the phone while on the phone. on the phone, and he isn't just sat <laughs> if the phone. Like he you're is like. On, he he's straddling. Yes, he's, he's straddling on the horse. Yes, um, as if the horse had collapsed under his weight is how it looks. Um, <laughs> and his explanation of this was that the horse had unfortunately died uh, during training, a tra sort of 
yeah, well, it was a gallop. It was heart attack on a gallop, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that he was helping to move the horse. And at that moment in time, he'd got felt a bit tired and just needed to sit down and had seemingly it's this isn't funny because of the no, that's horse. not what he said. It's, no, it, it, this he, is what he said. He seemingly forgot that he was he got uh, a phone call. He said, and no, then, no, no. He said he sat down. He, the reason his explanation for sitting down is that he was tired. And so he sat down and then he basically has forgotten that he's sitting on a dead, dead. horse. And and then at that moment, he's received an important phone call. And then one of his employees had said something to him. And at that moment, he is gesturing to say that he needs like two, minutes. I, two minutes. Two minutes. So he's not throwing a peace sign, even though he's smiling. He he's is not angry. Tyree killing it. <laughs> he's Yeah, he's angrily telling the employee, give me two minutes before I get off this dead horse. Who, who does that? Like, I'm sorry, but you don't sit on a dead horse. You don't sit on a horse. <laughs> well, a lot of people sit on horses, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If there is a dead horse, you you do not think about tiredness. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It goes out of the window, that concept. You put all of your welfare and your th- effort into making sure that that horse has this is the the central problem of what's going to happen with gordon elliott now is that he there's no care for the welfare of that horse in that photo that's the biggest issue here and ultimately is probably going to cost him training um for his professional career now that's that's probably it now so the bha of british horse racing authority have banned him so he's not allowed to train horses uh although they have Uh, confirmed no no they've tempered temporarily banned him they, they he, said pending investigation his horses are not allowed he's allowed to train horses they aren't allowed to be entered into races it, his horses are allowed to transfer to another trainer is what the bha have said in order to race but what yeah. i'm saying is you're saying he's banned from training he's not banned from training he's just his horses cannot enter ho- races in britain at the moment Pending the conclusion of keep happening, I, I think you'll see other. I, I don't want to see the Irish doing it I, as well. I don't want to jump to conclusions as to what his punishment will be because I don't actually know what a fitting punishment is. the The issue here, right, is that the photo itself gives you the impression that it's more. It sort of reveals perhaps his overall care for horses. I don't particularly have that care that much in a way. What he does with a dead horse. If you see what I mean, the horse is dead at that point. The concern is that the kind of trainer who would sit on a dead horse and take a photo while he has, throws a peace sign might not be treating the horses that well when they're alive. That's to me, is the concern. Fundamentally, I'm not upset to see him sitting on a dead horse. It's 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 sort of what does it mean for the rest of the time? Really, you don't you don't see some semblance of that being slightly upsetting. I don't think it's good. I wouldn't do it. I don't think it's correct. But it doesn't, that to me isn't the cause for concern. Once the horse is dead, it's dead. I'm not. Oh, you you might as well have dinner on it then. I mean, it's dead. If you told me that Gordon Elliott was chopping up Tiger Roll after it died and having a few (laughs) horse steaks, I wouldn't be that upset about it. As as long as you told me that Tiger Roll was treated really nicely over the course of its life and died of natural causes, then I would be like, well, he owns the horse. Or, I mean, maybe not in that instance. But he doesn't, though. Isn't that part of the issue, though? Like, shouldn't some respect be given to the people who own the horse 
um, like yes. other people who are involved yes. in the training and the upkeep of the horse. And you have no I, I idea mean, if they exerted it too much on the gallop. Yeah. Like that's the problem. Like it's not as if he's gone hunting. Also, like I, I, I understand you're, you're saying it's like an animal and it's dead. And that like, I look at that as almost like in hunting, you know, people will go out and kill a deer and then take pictures next to it and act, throw up actual peace signs. Right. But that's different in that they're not killing an animal that, you know, people had spent large amounts of money and time and energy and emotions into, you know, the upkeep and the training of, of that horse. No, I, look, I agree with you. Again, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying my concern is actually more for this is a reflection of how we treat them when they're alive. Um, I will also say this, and this is might come across as a bizarre comment. That horse looks really dead. Like, uh, not that I thought, but the horse looks almost as if it's been dead for a while. Uh, it doesn't look like a sort of freshly dead animal. And, I say, and that's, I'm not someone best placed to sort of do photographic analysis to try and give a give like forensic uh, timeline on when a horse died. But it doesn't look like the horse had just just dropped dead and he's hopped onto it. Um, but it will be interesting to see what's done with him. I don't know what the simple, I don't know what the proper punishment is. Banning him from training forever in some ways seems maybe a little bit harsh to me, but for a sport that has to be so concerned about the kind of optics relating to animal welfare, it's, and it's awful timing, right? Like for the fact that this photo comes out 10 days before, well, 10 days before Cheltenham, a month before the Grand National, it's really, it's the moment when the jumps racing is at the forefront or as much as it's going to be at the forefront of national news. So it's just terrible timing, which I'm sure was done intentionally by whoever leaked the photo. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I also is not that. good that, I mean, he's a jump trainer, right? The, the much more risky side of horse racing and, and the more publicized, I think like arguments against horse racing come from the jump side because you do see so many, deaths in the races in the uk yeah in the us obviously flat racing is <laughs> well they don't really do jumps <laughs> yes. too much in the, no but in the like US. running a horse at uh, santa anita is like santa anita yeah. is, is, is is like uh, it's basically it through the wish. gauntlet yeah but uh <laughs> but yeah no it's it's just not a great look um and and other trainers have come out universally in in condemning him interestingly enough uh the only ones who have bet fair cut ties with him. Yeah. Um, the only people who stood by him at the moment, seemingly, which is incredibly important to the future of his stable is the, the kind of ownership group that gives him the majority of his horses. So as long as that's still the case, he, he still has a viable business. At, at the very best, he's not going to be in the limelight anymore. Like I, it just, it, it's too contradictory. That photo in a nutshell is too contradictory to the welfare as a paramount thing for any horse racing authority, whether it be jumps or flats. And I, I, I personally think it has to be completely zero tolerance. I, I, whatever equivalent it would be of like losing your license, I think probably should be the um, outcome. 
Yeah, it's tough too because I'm with Cheltenham coming up. Gordon Elliott has so many good horses that would be racing at Cheltenham. Um, it throws all of them sort of in, you know, they all become massive unknowns. So it is, it will be interesting to see what happens on that front as to whether they will all quickly move to another, to sort of other trainers so that they can race at Cheltenham or if he's given, he's sort of allowed to, if, if the BHA sort of backtracks slightly and allows him to have horses race at Cheltenham pending the conclusion of the investigation, it will be, if everyone sticks to their guns and if some very high profile horses are not at Cheltenham because of this, it will be quite the stance on behalf of the horse racing authorities. Speaking of um, scandals, did you see the um, further crisis at uh, Barcelona with the arrests made at the Catalan club? So there was details are a bit scarce at the moment, but at the moment there is four people that have been arrested at Barcelona, and the rumor is that it includes the former president, um, Bartomeu, I think that's the name, let's go with that. Um, and a lot of it centers around uh, what we mentioned on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago about this idea that they hired a PR company to smear some of their own players on social media to create some sort of smear campaign and smear tactics. So it's about the financing and funding around that. but. The problem is, it's just another thing that's going on at that club that does not paint anything that that club is doing in a good light at the moment in terms of not only financial running, but a relationship with the key players on the pitch, obviously the massive debts they've got, the direction the club is going. It's just another reputational image to what is arguably the most prestigious club in the world, at least one of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm, I wouldn't, it doesn't surprise me. I just assume everyone in Spanish football is super corrupt. It's like being a French politician. Like, I think they go hand in hand. Do you think Sarkozy was involved? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I haven't heard that name in a while. Well, he's just been sentenced to three years in prison, so he's. Uh, <laughs> You, you might not hear be hearing from him from a little bit either, but uh, yeah, no, I it was, as 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 ever. I, I'm sure that one or two kind of minor players will will be punished, but I don't think it does anything to really hurt the club or change the system. I was a little confused as to why the ex president was at the club facilities. He was arrested at club facilities. Why is the ex president still there? It might be one of those like once you've been a president there might be like some lifetime thing that you receive but you kind of get like an accessible areas kind of pass kind of do so we think want. so do we think like trump's still in the white house just hanging out in one of the rooms that's where he's been well, you still get but you still get called president right and you still get like a security detail you know there's still perks of being a former president and i guess maybe like similar with barcelona but um i think this is a massive hit on barca's reputation to have arrests of a former president, if true, for financial scandal and learning that the club apparently paid for a smear campaign against his all players, that is not a good thing. Like, if you were a player outside of just Barcelona being the name, would you want to sign for a club 
if it was convicted that they do that. Would you be more upset if you were part of the smear campaign or if you hadn't been included in the smear campaign? I knew you're going to ask that. <laughs> like, like is, does your ego take a hit if they didn't go after you? How come no one picked on me? <laughs> so for context, the smear campaign was run against people that disagreed with the president at the time, Bartomir. Um, and obviously there was a, I guess, by not being a part of it, you just agree. So I would probably say you would be, you'd be happy that you weren't part of the smear, right? I mean, not me. I've never had a work environment where I've agreed with, agreed with the person running it. So 100% I would have been in the smear campaign. At least I would have hoped that I would have been significant enough. That would have been the, that would have been the annoying thing. It would have been like, I, I publicly uh, attack the president on a, on a daily basis and, and yet no tweets about me. Is that why you do it? <laughs> to get like exposure. <laughs> yeah. I just hope for a public backlash at one point. My dream is for the CEO or president of my company to publicly attack me on via social media. That's that's one of my life goals. Now we can round off the controversy with a uh, looking back on a weekend that was, I would say, relatively speaking, filled with controversial refereeing decisions from in the Six Nations in the. Uh, Wales-France match, where there were two controversial decisions, uh, both of which went in Wales' Wales's favor, I suppose. And uh, in the Premier League, where Brighton had a goal disallowed in circumstances that I've never seen before. And it, it does it's quite incredible to see something happen in the Premier League that legitimately I've never seen happen at any level of football. So for context for listeners who haven't seen it, Brighton were taking a free kick just outside the box. I think it was Dunk, I think is the player who was taking it. He asked the referee if they could take it quickly. And the referee, which is commonplace, like you often, when you're taking a free kick, ask the referee either if you have to wait for the whistle or if you can kind of take it whenever you're ready. The referee said, you can take it on my whistle. He then blew his whistle. He, the referee then obviously looked up and saw that the goalkeeper was still standing at the post adjusting the wall and then quickly blew his whistle a second time uh, just as the ball was crossing the line and going in for a Brighton goal and initially then awarded the goal. Then it went to uh, video review and under review, they established that the whistle, the second whistle blew fractions when the ball just hadn't crossed the line meaning at that point it was a dead ball and so the goal didn't stand in the end it was a set of circumstances i legitimately haven't seen ever before um the idea of letting someone take a quick free kick there's no requirement that the goalkeeper or any player on the other opposition team is ready um if you've given the permission for someone to take a quick free kick they can take it or if the referee's blown his whistle then too bad um but it was kind of Brighton can feel very hard done by. I mean, they did also miss two penalties in the match. So like they were their own worst enemies, but uh, they can feel as if the, the referee kind of let them down on that one. So, so I, I have a follow-up question. He clearly blows the whist, the first whistle and then, and then they take the free kick. 
Are you saying they disallowed it? Had he blown the second whistle after the ball went in, then they're saying that that second whistle would have been negated because the goal had already been scored? Yes. If the ball had crossed the line, if the ball had been one millimeter over the line when the second whistle was blown, the goal would have still stood. But because it hadn't crossed the line at the moment the second whistle went, it was considered at that moment in time sort of play, play freezes, kind of thing. Play freezes yeah. instantly as if the ball had dropped out of the air. And so therefore it is not a goal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like as Eddie mentioned, like it's amazing what VAR throws up. Uh, football under the microscope is. I don't turning, think it's turning a straight, to, it's going a strange angle with all this. To see it here. There are moments when VAR is the cause of the problem. The cause here is a referee panicking and not doing his job properly. And there's no reason for him to blow the whistle the second time. Kind of shifting the blame onto VAR is letting the referee himself off the hook for making a total mess of a scenario that should have been straightforward. Oh, yeah. I'm not letting the ref off the hook. I'm just saying that when you throw a microscope, the ability to look at things under a microscope like that, it throws up something completely unique that I've not seen before. Um, I, I, I did like if, if, if VAR wasn't there, though, the ref would have blown. What would have happened? Like, let's just take VAR out of this then. What would have happened? His original Deadpool. decision was to award the goal. So you'd have, have to assume goal. that he would have given the goal in without VAR there to check it. Mm. He on the pitch awarded it. So no one would have batted an eyelid and everyone would have gone, okay, you know, ref's a bit of an idiot, but fundamentally mm. he said quick free kick. But people would have batted an eye because whenever there's a quick free kick, people complain. Every single time, whenever there's a quick free kick and a goal, people complain. So you still would have had uh, complaints, but for different reasons. And the idea would have been, look, it happens all the time. Maybe it's a bit inconsistent as to whether the referee lets you take it quickly or not. But there still would have been complaints, but it not as to the, it wouldn't have been as significant of an incident as it has become. I liked Dunk's response when he said, um, Basically, he was just saying it was a terrible decision and then said about the ref, uh, the ref, why doesn't he come and speak to the press like me? Never. They hide behind their bubble. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. No, it was. And kind of similar, I suppose, in some respects to then what happened in the rugby, where the first try that uh, Wales scored of the match came after they had been awarded a penalty and the referee instructed Owen Farrell, the England captain, to talk to his players because of the sort of frequency with which uh, England were committing offenses. And while 20, so the timeline goes at 22 seconds after the referee instructed him to talk to his players, he then gave Wales permission to quickly take the penalty in which, and they kicked sort of to the corner where one of their players was able to score the try taking England by surprise. Again, nothing the referee did is technically wrong. Like he's, everything was right. And you can be critical of England for not being uh, ready to deal with it and not being kind of back in position. They were a bit slow in, in, in handling it, but 22 seconds to speak to your players 
might be sufficient in some circumstances, but when your wingers have run in 40 meters to take part in that conversation, to expect them to come in for the conversation and get back out uh, in the space of 20 seconds seems a little bit of a stretch. I mean, he's already admitted that he made the error. Like that was an error because he called time on with it and um, there was no time. So there was an error there, but I don't think it should. It's the same with the quick free kicks, right? Um, it's There was ill discipline on both. Like in a, in a footballing sense, you know, as a defensive team that the quick free kick can happen. Uh, so you should be simultaneously aware and preparing for that. If you don't, then I consider that ill discipline. Or, or you know poor poor awareness i guess but you know it's coming and you know it can happen um simultaneously england it's a little bit more the referee's fault because obviously he's called you in deliberately to talk so that's on the referee but still there was the what was it the second try england were caught basically well, that was the knock-on, actually. That's a little bit different. But more generally, England's kind of ill-discipline in that game and poor discipline was there for everyone to see. So you can't really blame, I guess, VAR in that respect from the football-wise. But... Uh, no, I think the two, two controversial decisions going against you and leading to, let's say, an 11-point an swing because... Fundamentally, Wales could have just kicked the penalty on the first one instead of scoring the try. So it's not a full 14 point, um, but it obviously changed the outlook of that match. And also probably the mentality of the England players who probably felt like, I mean, Wales who have played the first two matches in the Six Nations against, against 14 men because of settings off, it now felt like England were playing against 16. So I can kind of, on um, you know, it's one of those where it's obviously had an impact on the match, but uh, England still got themselves back in a position to win at 20, uh, what it was, 24 all. Um, and then in the final 15 minutes, just were incredibly sloppy and gave away multiple penalties and kind of fell apart in a moment when they needed to uh, kind of be the better team. So they can't, it's not, it's not a get out of jail free just because the referee made some decisions, some mistakes, but I think the England players can definitely feel hard done by. Yeah, I, I think as well, what, what was strange about that for me um, is video refereeing in rugby is so like a pinnacle of how to apply the video referee situation in games. Like it's very well respected with referees, with fans, with players. It's also very public. You know, they show it on the screen so the fans see exactly the angles that the video referee is looking at. It's very clearly communicated. Everything's extremely transparent, but also everything is so methodically explained as to why they've made that decision. Whereas football, I guess, it keeps throwing up so many new things at the moment. You have no idea about sometimes why they go upstairs to VAR, why they don't why when they can get VAR involved why doesn't it get involved sometimes so it was very weird almost more shocking to see it in rugby union not once get it kind of confusingly wrong but obviously the knock-on was the big one wasn't it so so fundamentally from my understanding of then post-match the decision itself it seems by the laws of the game is correct that it isn't a knock-on fundamentally like they've 
the post-match analysis has been that technically it is correct. Now, the interpretation of that law is maybe not always in the way that it's then been seen there. That's the criticism. They're not helped. They were just French. So also just the two of them trying to communicate in English to each other and just like nothing really making sense. It also, even in the moment after the first try, when Owen Farrell went to speak to the referee and the referee kind of not being super clear in his response to Farrell. Um, sometimes I think the, the fact that they have to speak in English, maybe not the best, but um, you know, what can you, any listener of the podcast who's had, who's kind of been able to hear about my struggles with getting the internet and dealing with French administration should come as no surprise that when you make French people referees of international sporting events, chaos ensues. <laughs> Apparently that's it now. He's, he's not refereeing again, but not because of choice, because of poor decision-making in this game. I think he's got one assistant job left. So we're not going to see it again from at least from this referee. But. Well, the Six Nations itself, anyway, is at risk of, you know. So France, for anyone who's not following, the French match against Scotland had to be postponed uh, last weekend uh, because of the an outbreak of COVID in the French camp. I think something like eleven positive tests, and as it now turns out, it's likely that this came about as a result of a breach of protocol mm. by some of the French coaches or possibly players, in which case the idea is now that the match against Scotland will not be postponed, but rather France will have forfeited that match. Yeah. And wow. And I, then equ equally Scotland, uh, France are due to play England in two weeks time. And there's still the possibility that that match as well may have to be forfeited because there's a like the, strong likelihood that they're still they won't have passed the kind of necessary length of time without positive cases so this six nations might take a really funny turn and wales might kind of sleepwalk into a grand slam yeah they've already got the triple crown haven't they but i i read about that france scotland thing and i, I we had those similar chats with the steelers and the Titans in the NFL talk about how the team with the COVID outbreak can sometimes actually benefit from the scenario or the rules or regulations surrounding it. So let's just say that this French COVID outbreak was, they, they didn't identify why it was an issue. One of the proposals was that they were going to play it next weekend or, or this coming weekend now that we talk. Which but, is a break. For, which for is a break for everyone. Yeah, which is a break from the Six Nations, which would have meant that Scotland would have basically none of their first-team players because of club commitments during that time. So it would have been a case like, say all the French players come back, they don't have those COVID commitments, they're free to play due to different ways that the countries commit their players, uh, club and country. But yes, Scotland would have been the ones that are penalised in that game because of the delay. So I, I, I found that interesting and it's, it's very hard for me to feel sympathetic for the Scottish, but I would have felt very sympathetic if that's how it had transpired. But you're right, it does look like because of that breach, um, they could potentially be forfeiting this. I mean, I, I would be surprised if they don't have to forfeit the match against Scotland now. The match against England becomes a, bit, a larger question, though there's still talk of that that might also happen. But uh e I mean, just logistically speaking now, it's very difficult to imagine when they'll be able to replay the fixture. So 
you can't then take that away from Scotland. It's not their fault. And they do technically still have a chance of winning the Six Nations. I mean, obviously, as do France, who are, have a chance of winning the Grand Slam. But, uh, yeah, I mean, good, good. all works. Everything's coming out roses for Wales, though. Yeah, I'm really glad we did our Six Nations preview because it's really come good so far. <laughs> England shitting the bed. Oh, well, um, I mean... Uh, France know. not being French yet. Yeah, well, I guess this was French of them. <laughs> Said they had one bad True. performance in them, and as it turned out, they have 11 they have players COVID. who... Yeah. The only other thing from the my very detailed analysis of the Six Nations that I, I like to provide and in rugby in general, watching it now with no one in attendance and then having to watch the players do the national anthems. I feel very sorry for the players because you can now hear all of them sing very clearly. And whereas previously, obviously, that's mostly drowned out by the stadium filled with people and you could only kind of sort of hear little sort of elements as the camera kind of passes each person you can now full-on hear each one of them sing the entire time and i have to say i'm sure it doesn't really cross your mind because you're just proud to be representing your nation and singing your national anthem would be part of that i think if it were me i'd be slightly bothered by the fact that I now everyone could hear exactly what I sound like when I sing. But you've got a beautiful voice. I do, and that's what would concern me because I would feel like people might start debating, is he a better singer or rugby player? And as a compliment to both skills, <laughs> but I wouldn't want suddenly I wouldn't want I wouldn't want the controversy to sort of be there of is is Edward Hewitt going to retire from rugby to start churning out number one singles? Who knows, but listen to his interpretation of God Save the Queen. Edward Hewitt's greatest polka classics. <laughs> do you remember when people, I, I, I don't know if people still do it because I guess, you know, pandemic may bring it up, but a lot of people just mime the anthem, you know, where they just kind of mimic the words as opposed to actually sing or bellow it out. But that yeah. would now, that would come across as really weird. Well, it would come across if, as really weird if everyone did it, and then there was literally no, across, there was no noise. There was zero noise. <laughs> yeah, and look, it must be. I'm not in a position to judge this either, but I'm sure with some of those non-Welsh Welsh players who are then singing their well, the national anthem, uh, I'm sure some of the pronunciation is a little bit questionable, um, but. Uh, yeah, no, I just, it would be mildly embarrassing. I, I found it harder to get into the Six Nations, speaking of that, but because the crowd is so much of it, like really so much of it. Like I, I found it, you remember when Bundesliga first came back uh, after the pandemic? And I remember watching it and thinking, this is strange, but that became really accustomed. Like it was just domestic football constantly and you're still watching it. Whereas you know, I frequently watch football games on mute whilst I'm doing something else, for example, whereas rugby union, I'd, I'd say 50% of the viewing experience genuinely is like the roars of the crowd, the motivation, the, the feel that they, or the home crowds 
Italy aside, really do change something. And I, I don't know what you think after watching the last like three rounds, but I think it's really lost something, maybe more than almost all sports. I'd say this has been like the one that's felt like it's lost the most. I like hearing players. I'm I'm totally on board to a certain extent of there never being spectators at sporting events again. I really like hearing players. I find it fascinating to be able to hear exactly what they say to each other and how they interact with referees at different moments in time. I think it's incredible. Like it's incredible insight. And yes, the atmosphere isn't quite the same. And I do miss elements of that. And I obviously miss actually attending the sporting events themselves. And there's no universe in which I'm going to be the only person allowed to go there. But uh, I, I, at this point, I've got to say, I'm, I'm just used to, uh, they're not being fans. The only time I kind of, I will say, I, I find it a bit sad sometimes as a Blackburn Rovers supporter watching those matches in empty stadiums because the stadiums aren't that great and the pitches are Eddie. <laughs> yes. Now, I mean, what, look, the joke there is the concern is that obviously there will be 4,000 fans allowed in attendance before the end of the season and 4,000 people might not turn up. It will be very embarrassing for certain clubs when there's like limited allowed capacity, permitted capacity, and they're still not able to sell out. Um, and, and given the way the wheels are well and truly coming off the Blackburn Rovers season, I think it would be ambitious to get 4,000 people to turn up to a, to Ewood Park. Question. If Ewood Park and Blackburn, because of that, offered the cardboard cutout fan for, say, £50, would you put yourself front and centre as a cardboard cutout? I, I mean, I think they do do it, I could, think. Could, could you uh, do it? Um, <laughs> for uh, If it's going to charity, I would do it. Um, I wouldn't really do it to give money to the club, but I give enough money to the club anyway. Could we raise like a thousand and have like 50 of you? Like, I don't think, I don't think they allow you. I don't think they allow you to do multiple times. I don't think, I think you, that's a shame. (laughs) You could dress me in 50 different costumes, I suppose. So it kind of tries to trick them. So it could be a weird game of like Edward Hewitt, guess who? Yeah, like a Where's Waldo <laughs> going on in the crowd each. It, might, it would be more. What if you had twins? Would, yeah, there's 150 of us. Yeah. The, I'll say this right now: being able to play Where's Waldo in the cardboard cutouts at Ewood Park would be more entertaining than watching what's going on on the actual pitch. So, anyone working in marketing for Blackburn Rovers who's listening to this, maybe give this one a try this weekend. So this is actually a genuine comment, and I think I already know the answer, but uh, there has been an outpouring from some of our listeners, Frank, asking for more updates on the chicken sandwich drama. I've got no updates. Yeah, no developments on that front. Listeners will be disappointed. I mean, I imagine what I would tell them, Eddie, is to go out and test it yourself. And get involved in the Twitter debate. Many of these people don't live in the US. So that would be It's going to be very difficult or a disgusting delivery to my house from the USA. (laughs) Is it just Sam? Is it just Sam? It's very, very interested. No, there are. There genuinely are others. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you live in the UK, you could do a few of them or, or not, not necessarily the ones that are being, but you could do like a KFC chicken sandwich. You could get a McDonald's chicken sandwich, a, a Burger King. You could do your own taste test and comparison ranking. Frank, we need to give the fans what they want. You need to do more research on chicken in the USA. I might just have to go out and do the taste test myself. Yeah, I think that would be good. I mean, I could definitely hit up Popeyes. I don't know what would be the next best one. I'd have to do some research and see what people are arguing is the best. What I would like to see is live on the podcast because I want to see what they look like versus what the marketing makes oh, them look like. You oh, want that's... a one bite, you know the rules? Is that what you're saying, Sam? No, oh, no, no, no. I don't want any sub-promotion going on from you here. No, <laughs> no he wants he wants video content on our audio podcast. That's what he wants. <laughs> he wants the listeners to be able to hear his reactions to the visual yeah. impact of the sandwich. Yeah, we're going into that unique scenario where people comment on people c- commenting. Yes. It's... Yeah, and also it would be delightful for our listeners to be able to listen to us eat on the podcast. That would make it even better. Yeah, we just won't even talk anymore. We're just chomping. No, just ch- people chewing. That's what everyone wants. But no, uh, that's a shame. That's a shame. Any other moments of controversy or notable events from the uh, this past weekend? Jason Sudeikis won Best Actor for Ted Lasso. Oh, Sam, what did you think about uh, Jason Sudeikis' performances in Ted Lasso? You know what I thought. I just, I'm just happy to hear from you guys at the moment. <laughs> so, okay, that's cool that he won. Wow, there, there, we, there you have it. Anyone, yeah. wanting, anyone wanting entertainment news reactions, there's, there's what you're going to get yeah. from Sam. Lots cool. of people win things. It's true. It's pretty difficult. Although I did see that I can, like, uh, uh, on my Google TV, I see that you can now have Apple TV, like via an app. So it makes it even easier for me to do. You've got an Xbox. You can get an Apple TV app on your Xbox. Yeah, I could do that too. You you could also have it on your laptop on your phone. You guys really want me to watch it, don't you? You do. Do you want to have like a full discussion around it? We've previously said exactly that, Sam. I don't know. You're not having to read between the lines on this one. We've genuinely had conversations where we said we want to be able to do sort of when the new season comes out, hopefully actual like episode by episode reactions. But that would require that you've watched season one so we can react properly to season two. And your busy pandemic lockdown schedule doesn't allow you to watch a 30-minute comedy. No, ma'am. No, it does not. I'll watch it. I'll watch it before season two starts. You keep telling us. Just fucking start it. I don't know. I like, I like watching it in... No, no, no. I like watching it in like one go. Um, so if I can do season one and then immediately bleed into season two, I get more content in one go. Whereas at the moment, I'd just be in some delay like you guys. But you, what do you mean some delay? You watch season one, no delay. And then like an adult, you happily wait for season two. This is also coming from the guy who previously has spoken about having some kind of like 
TV paralysis and is unable to choose what to watch. Here you're being told, hey, watch this so you can speak about it. And you're like, no, 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 no. I'm going to wait for season two to come out. Yeah. But then why won't you wait for season three when season two, you know, like season three would be just around the corner. Has season three being confirmed? Yeah. Oh, confirmed okay. nine seasons, actually. So you'll have to wait all. Really? To, yeah. Wow. you have to wait so long before. <laughs> this is episode 942. Sam enjoys Ted Lasso. The thing is, I genuinely think you'll enjoy it. That's the other part of it that I don't get. Probably. There's probably tons of things I would enjoy that I haven't started. Wow. That kind of attitude's got you into a bit of trouble in the past, Sam, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not take that too far, but I think you would like this TV show. Yeah. I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. What What a commitment on your part. I'm committing to getting around to it. That's all I really got. Sam, what'd you think of the Golden Globes? Did you enjoy it? Oh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> you didn't watch the, what was it, like two locations or something? Well, there's like a New York and an LA combined interactive Golden Globes or something. Oh, wait, so they were... So I'm assuming it was all virtual. Of the stars were in their houses and stuff like that, but then they were presenting it, from two locations. I think so. Yeah, I did. I also didn't watch. So all I know it was it looked like the worst year that they'll ever have for the actual winners. I mean, the movies that won, I hadn't even heard of half of these movies. I can imagine looking back on it. You know, they're gonna say. The movies that won this year likely won because there was what 10 movies released <laughs> the whole year <laughs> at least at least they didn't have ricky gervais presenting it was tina fey and amy poehler and it's not i enjoyed uh ricky gervais's like kind of roasting the concept of hosting an award show i thought that was funny the first time he did it and then the fact that he kept coming back and taking the checks to do it kind of undermined the original concept of what he was doing sam is deep in thought about this one <laughs> he's he's no i was trying to think of some of the ricky gervais jokes from the globes um there was one about like there was a couple i saw recently like rewatches of like him presenting and there was one about harvey weinstein but i can't remember it. well there was the big one was the jeffrey epstein, epstein. one where he he said like oh, your friend died, like you had to get your own, arrange your own travel. Because obviously many, he had had a habit of flying around, including previous uh, travel companion, Malcolm Gladwell, enemy of the podcast, who... Wait, why is Malcolm Gladwell an enemy of the podcast? (laughs) What what did he do? Flew with Jeffrey Epstein. So anyone that did is an enemy of... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, no, uh, Malcolm Gladwell just, Malcolm Gladwell's just, uh, over the course of his career really begun to annoy me and just has become Malcolm Gladwell. (laughs) Would it, would it surprise you to say, I don't know who that is? Um, I'm sure you're kind of familiar with aspects of his work. He's kind of popularized the theory of the 10,000 hours uh he although it's 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 always like misinterpreted yes 
the way Malcolm Gladwell say, makes like, it, he makes it sound like if you just do something for 10,000 hours, you'll be amazing at it and one of the best in the world, which is not at all what the original theory is. Um, but I also think that's not really what he says in the book either. It's like people kind of just took it as that. Like he, he gives a little more context than that. And people were just like, oh, see, it takes 10,000 hours to be good at something. He... He does, but he also his interpretation isn't the same because like the original academic research that went into it was like, if you are very good at something, the 10,000 hour mark is usually when you kind of reach, you, you kind of transcend into being great at it. And it's just a kind of more coincidence than it is like a necessary amount of work put in. Um, but Gladwell still is kind of pushing forward the idea that like, doing 10,000 hours of practice is like a big step towards being very good at something. But in general, Malcolm Gladwell can just, I mean, yeah, I got no time for him anymore. <laughs> but still listen to all of his podcasts. No, I don't even see. That's how like Bill Simmons, wow. Bill Simmons. I still hate listen to Malcolm Gladwell completely gone from me. Wow. If it makes you feel any better, I've never listened to any of his stuff, and I never will. I mean, look, his revisionist history podcast was at first, it was pretty good. It kind of, I think it ran its course, and then now it's had to kind of go into topics and areas where it just doesn't do what it kind of, the description of the podcast no longer applies to what it's really doing. But the season Careful. one, yeah, yeah, as we talk about soup, but um, the, but season one of revisionist history is a good podcast series. Yeah. Cause I think the whole, what is the whole tagline? It's things that have been, oh, what the hell does he say? It's, it's basically like taking a second look at things that people always assumed was like something that the reason something happened, but when you take a second look at it, it's actually the opposite of what people thought. And it works well for season one because he has good examples of this. But then by like the third season, that whole like theme doesn't really fit. And he's just kind of analyzing something strange. You know, it's yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it's like someone coming up with like, hey, this is a really good premise for like a one season and being like, that is a great premise. And like, hey, it was really successful. Can you do season two? It's like, I mean, I guess I can shoehorn a few things in that like kind of sound like what I was originally trying to do. And that's basically, it's just a money grab at this point, which is just what Malcolm Gladwell's career is. I'll go out and say, I will never allow Malcolm Gladwell to be a guest on this podcast. No matter how many times he asks, he is never allowed on. <laughs> Cause, big cause, we were, fan. Cause, Cause we were frequently inches away from having him on. Well, you know, we're not we're not that far off 10,000 hours of podcasting, at which point we'd reach our tipping point and Malcolm Gladwell would be the outlier of guests for us and would have come on. <laughs> we will we will prove the 10,000 rule wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what this that's that's the premise of this podcast. It exists purely to show that Malcolm Gladwell is a complete kook. All right. Well, with that, with knocking down one of the better podcasters out there, take another I, one. I actually kind of took on two today because Ricky Gervais is legitimately one of the kind of 
founding fathers of podcasting. So yeah. I went after Rickton stuff. I went after Ricky Gervais, and then I went after Malcolm Gladwell. You know, stay we'll tuned. Who's, who's next? Stay we'll tuned who, for who Eddie is gonna yeah, turn we'll his fury who, onto. We'll see who the crosshairs land on next week. This American life better look out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Ira Glass. Ira Glass, I'm coming for you. <laughs> Dead horses. Right, boys, talk to you later. See ya. Cheerio.